0: Laws are as just as the people that write them. And laws are as just as the people that enforce them. And the problem with the people that write the laws and the problem with the people that enforce the laws is that they're unjust people. They are broken and fallen people. I mean, all you have to do is look around and you can say that no one in this world And nowhere in this world is there justice. We can see that we live in a world that struggles with justice. That struggles with uprightness and righteousness. The best among us, whoever we decide that is. The most noble among us falls short of that demand of justice and our thirst for righteousness because all of us, we thirst for justice. We thirst for righteousness. We are an unjust people, period. We have been an unjust people and have created unjust societies since the fall. There has not been a just world or just society since the fall, And despite our standards that we create and the laws that we write and the principles that we have and constitutions that we create, the problem with all of them is they are created by a fallen, unjust people. And therefore, by definition, even if we fell upon a just law, it is going to be unjust because we are ones that write them and we are the ones that enforce them. Oftentimes, we as Christians, we get pretty noble this. Like, yes, but I have a biblical worldview and I follow a biblical principle. Well, that's assuming that you can actually understand the Bible in, a, in your broken lens perfectly. I mean, we fall upon it. We have moments of that. But I guarantee you that we are a people that do not live by the biblical standard of our life or the biblical worldview because we are broken, unjust people. And all of us, all of us were willing to bend and break and discard our laws and rules as long as our definition of justice is met in the end. We're willing to break the process down even if we think those are just laws and just rules and just principles. The ends for unjust people will always justify the means. That, my friends, is what we call a Machiavellian society. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. But, But having a view that the ends will always justify the means, that is not a biblical worldview. That is not how God is. God's... Means always justify his ends. Let's just take like, one example that we heard this morning. The example of the trial and the conviction of Jesus. I think they thought they had just rules and just principles and a just society. But just like all people, they are willing to break them to meet the ends in which they thought was just. So look at, look at these nine things that happen in the trial and conviction of Jesus, that they break their own rules. Jesus is arrested without charge in the garden. That's actually a rule for the Jewish people. They actually, you, when you arrest someone, you have to give them a charge. It's one of the principles we have in our society as well too. The, the, the account of the trial is that they go find him and they just arrest him, then there is no charge. Number two, the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, this this court of this, these rulers, these religious rulers that rule over Israel, cannot consider a capital offense on a feast day. It is the Passover, and they decide let's arrest Jesus for high treason, a capital offense. Number three, the council cannot make final judgment at night. Or outside the chambers of the temple. And yet here they are in their court at night, willing to hold a trial, a rush trial, and convict him. Number four condemnation and conviction requires unanimous testimony from at least two witnesses. And you heard the account, even though they brought in false witnesses, they couldn't even get their false witnesses to agree on their story. Number five, Caiaphas, the high priest, assumes the role of prosecutor in the trial. That wasn't his role. The rule of law says that he is the arbitrator and the judge that makes sure that there is a fair trial and that justice happens. And he isn't the prosecutor. He's not supposed to ask questions. He's supposed to remain neutral and then be a judge. But you see here, he begins to ask questions, doesn't he? Which leads us to the point six. Caiaphas asks not just a question, he asks a leading question. It's actually a pretty smart prosecutor question. He actually asks Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Think of the two options Jesus has to have here. He either answers it and therefore condemns himself in front of everyone because he's claiming to be God in front of them all. Or he denies it. And then all his followers, Peter sitting in the back, are blown away. This is not the man we thought who he is. He discredits himself with his followers. So he asks the leading question. Number seven, after Jesus confesses that he is God, he is the Christ, that he is the son of the blessed, there's no test of his claims. There is no, okay, let's have further evidence to actually back this up. They rush to judgment. Notice what Caiaphas does in that moment. He rips his clothes because of blasphemy. You've heard it, it's done. They rush to judgment. They have to test the claims that are made in the court. Number eight, a capital offense conviction. Even if they convicted him right there, it would require 24 hours according to the rules between judgment and sentencing. They didn't give that time at all, did they? Within an hour or two, they arrest Jesus, they put him on trial, they convict him, and they sentence him. The rule of law is thrown out. The the ends justifies their means. And the last one, Jesus isn't just killed, is he? He's beaten to a pulp in a cruel way that lacked any mercy. And for the Jewish society, that wasn't acceptable. The cross was a Roman punishment, not a Jewish punishment, The cross would have been a place where the the Romans would love to hang someone there forever and ever to remind you, don't do what he did. Otherwise, our wrath will come upon you. Jewish, Jewish capital punishment required grace and mercy. The evidence is clear that Jesus was convicted in a rigged trial that broke all the rules and is a gross injustice. When injustice affects us personally, we recognize it and are quick to rail against it, aren't we? We are quick when it is personal for us that we will stand up and speak out against it. But we have a hard time recognizing our own injustices and our own unrighteousness. Or we have a hard time recognizing it when injustice is against the other. This actually will help you begin to understand racism in our society. We have a hard time understanding when there is injustice against some other group besides us or that's not us. Because it's it's not in our realm of understanding. It's not how we're wired. Those people in that moment had a hard time seeing how they were being unjust to Jesus. They just knew, wow, this, he deserves to die. We'll do anything it means to get to that justice. Which, which, and all of that reveals a deeper brokenness in humans, doesn't it? A deeper wickedness in us. Because we can't recognize injustice in others, it's hard for us, it's because we lack grace and mercy in us. Some of us actually lack grace and mercy for ourselves. But do you understand that this story is not told just so you understand the injustices and sin in the world? But do you actually understand the lack of grace and mercy in the world? That you actually understand who God is. That God is filled with grace and mercy and justice. And those are never separated from him. They are always True, because he's love, and we lack love. You see, we want vengeance, we want justice, we want retribution for the harm against us. Maybe we want retribution for the harms against our principles, against our ideals, against the injustice that we think. Lloyd Ogilvie says this, whenever the standards of justice and mercy are cast aside for personal gain, the Son of Man will be the victim and will be the judge. I'll read that again because that is really profound. Whenever the standards of justice and mercy are cast aside for personal gain, the Son of Man will be the victim and he will be the judge. Now you begin to understand what this moment is all about. Because the reason why the cross happens is because you and I and every other human in this world reek of injustice. And we reek a lack of mercy and grace. And every time that happens in your life, that's the reason the cross happens. That's the reason Jesus is nailed. That's the reason why he goes to the cross, to live out justice, to live out grace in which we lack. Every moment of injustice in the world, every moment of hate that lacks grace is the reason for the cross. The reason Jesus goes willing to the cross is because justice needs to be served, because God demands justice. The reason Jesus willingly goes to the cross is because he has mercy and grace for his people. The biblical account of Jesus' arrest, his trial and death, points us to our lack of righteousness, our lack of justice, our lack of love. And the biblical account of Jesus' arrest, his trial and his death, highlight and emphasize his justice, his righteousness, and his grace for his people. Micah 6.8 says, you know this verse, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The arrest, trial, and death of Jesus shows us how we fail to do justice, how we fail to love kindness, or even better translated, to have steadfast love in our life, to walk humbly with our God the arrest and trial and death of Jesus shows us that Jesus accomplished justice. That Jesus accomplished grace and love and kindness. That Jesus was humble as he willingly obeyed the Father for us. Micah 6, 8. And he has told you, O man what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, Here's the good news, that the Lord requires this, and he's the one that fulfills it. The Lord requires this because it's who he is. But Jesus is the one that shows us this. The Jesus is the one that accomplished this. All that the Lord requires, Jesus accomplished. Now, does that mean we're off the hook? No, we are created to be in him and with him and for him. Right. So Jesus models this for us. He accomplishes it for us. But you, you see the model, it's still hard to do, isn't it, for us? It is not easy to do these things publicly, to do justice publicly, to to love kindness, to be kind publicly, or to walk humbly. It's, It's easier to be a closet Christian, like to just say, I believe, and no one else really needs to know through my words or through my actions. I mean, if you're like me, and you might not be, but I count the cost for every physical and mental exertion that I make. Every relationship encounter that I make, every time that I have maybe have to stand up for Christ, I count the cost. It's in my head that it's easier to remain silent, to remain hidden, and ironically, when we remain silent and we remain hidden, It's where we actually show our allegiance. Because we don't show that we're for Jesus. We show it for ourselves or for something else. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a closet follower of Jesus. He was a Sanhedrin. He was a respected member of the Sanhedrin. And the good news, he didn't go along with the kangaroo court that just happened. He wasn't there. He wasn't... We also know he was a rich man. Joseph had a lot to lose in this moment. He had a lot to lose as far as status and standing. He had a lot to do economically, his security, and coming forward publicly for Jesus. But Jesus' death required an act. And this is what I mean, it required an act. According to Jewish custom and laws, a body... Dead does not hang there. It needs to be buried. No matter what the crime, the body needs to be respected and needs to be buried and taken care of. And we know, right, it can't happen on the Sabbath day and the sun was setting and Sabbath was soon about and they couldn't do it then. You see, the Romans, as I said earlier, they would have been just as happy to let Jesus hang on that cross. wouldn't matter to them at all it would be a good reminder, don't cross Rome. If no one claimed that body, they would have put that body in a common grave. The responsibility for taking care of that body would have fell onto his family. Mary is there at the cross in overwhelming grief. She wasn't processing that moment what to do next. His brothers weren't there at all, were they? All his disciples left. Except there was, who fell the responsibility next? Would have been John. John, who was probably disguised in some form at the cross with Mary. And Jesus had just told John, hey, my mom, your mom now, take care of her. Would have fell to him. But John doesn't act and taking care of the body. But God surprises, doesn't he? Throughout scripture, God surprises in the midst that no one one would stand up, no one would take care of the dead body. God surprises, and out of the enmity, and out of the shadows, steps forward courage. Joseph of Arimathea, who was not willing to step forward before, in this moment, steps forward And what does he have to do? He actually has to go to Pilate, the governor. He has to make this public of what he's doing, that he'll take care of the body, that he's for Jesus. Why does he have to go to Pilate? Because it's a crime of high treason and only Pilate could get the Romans to release Jesus. Only Pilate could give permission. And Pilate says, yeah, take it down. doesn't matter to me, right? Joseph has to publicly align himself With Jesus. Risking everything. Everything that he knows in the world, he has to put online. We are told in a few important details of something about Joseph, right? We are told that he was looking and searching for the kingdom of God. In that moment, he took courage. In that moment where he was never before telling to take courage, he took courage. Courage. In that moment, Joseph acted in steadfast love and incredible kindness. He had grace on Jesus. He had grace for Jesus' family. And he acted and he took care of the body according to all of his laws and his customs. In that moment, he risked it all all for love and all for grace for Jesus. That man was looking for the kingdom of God. That man actually lived out the kingdom of God for everyone to see in that moment. He lived out what the Lord required of him to act kindly, to act kindly, to be humble. He acted justly. He loved in kindness and he walked humbly with this Lord. His humiliated Lord, he walked humbly and bowed down and put himself all on the line for him. Jesus is the king. He he is our king. He, He was Joseph's king. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God. We are not waiting for it. It is here and it is now. But there is no boundaries. There's no border. It's everywhere. And how do we see the kingdom of God lived out? When the king's subjects act justly, love kindness, steadfast love and grace, and walk humbly with their Lord. Then the kingdom of God is there for everyone to see. How are you and I living out the kingdom of God? How are you living out today? How are you living out justice and kindness and humility? Lord, this is my prayer for us. Help us. Help us daily to step out of the closet, to step out of the shadows, and to live publicly for you. To act justly for you. To act kindly for you. To walk humbly with you. May we live for the King today may we live out the kingdom of God for all to see today and forevermore. Amen.